Welcome to the Lifestyle Chase. This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. Proudly hosted by me, Chris Little. Without further ado, let's get started. So, welcome to episode 36 of the Lifestyle Chase. My guest today is Julie Harish. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm fantastic. The sun is shining and winter is leaving. Excellent. Too yeah. great. What's, what's the weather like in Toronto right now? Just above zero, but it's sunny, which is rare for Toronto in the winter. So super happy about that. Did you guys get like the cold snap that we had in Alberta or not quite as bad? No, never as bad. Lucky, lucky. <laughs> never. <laughs> it got so cold at my place that uh, the glass on one of the panes on my balcony smashed. Like just exploded. <laughs> just the worst so what's the busiest day in your week just kind of take me from start to finish and like all the things that you do and your routine (laughs) routine (laughs) um (laughs) i don't have a routine i'm gonna put that out there right now um i used to have a very tight routine and and moving toronto and owning my own business through all of that out the window so it's kind of a hit or miss day by day, depending on what, if I have meetings, if I've scheduled like workouts or training, or if I'm teaching or if I need to sub classes or if I'm working the front desk. So it just, it, it literally varies week to week. Um, for us at the studio, our busiest time is the weekends because we don't have desk staff yet for the weekends. So we have help during the week, um, mornings and evenings, but weekends is kind of Sheldon and I all hands on deck. And I also teach, so it makes it extra chaotic, but makes sense. as far as in, there isn't one. <laughs> <laughs> I find that a lot of people don't honestly have like a routine, but it's just cool to like figure out perspective of like how, how different people are different and how some people are the same. Like a lot of people is just no two days are the same. They're always like running like a chicken with their head chopped off, but they make it happen. And sometimes sort of knowing that is empowering for other people who think that they are unique, but it's just like, we're, we're never alone in our own like little hustle. Everybody's kind of running crazy. So I want to know five fun facts about Toronto that you've discovered as of late. Oh boy. Um, five fun facts about Toronto. I am not the only person that walks their cat on a leash. (laughs) I learned that the other day and I was real proud. Um, everybody has a dog and all the dogs are really cute. Traffic is probably the worst I've seen ever in any city I've ever been in, um, aside from New York. And it doesn't matter if it's Monday at 9am or Saturday at 2pm. It's just, it's not, it's nuts. Um, so those are three, four, um, Torontonians don't know what winter is. They think they know what winter is, but they don't know what winter is. <laughs> I learned that this year. I was like, guys, you don't even know what's um, And the fifth fun fact, and this is spin related, is nobody listens when you tell them not to wear their shoes until they're inside the spin room. Their <laughs> <laughs> shoes on the on the concrete, like like they're rebels. I'm like, guys, this is dangerous. But yeah, yeah, it's random. Yeah. But those are five facts I've learned about Toronto. Totally. Do you find you have to uh, replace the clips quite a bit because of that? 
No, but I'm worried about people's heads and faces. Oh, for sure. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's like, it's like walking on ice if you're walking anywhere other yeah. than you should be kind of thing. So have you ever lived in any cities other than like Calgary, Toronto, or like what's, what's your origin story in, in places that you've lived? Um, so I grew up in like a super small town, one of the blink and you miss it southern Alberta towns. Sorry, I'm gonna shut that off my phone. There. It's moving at us for five minutes. Um, so yeah, I grew up in like a super small town. We had a stoplight, even like, that's how small it was. I don't even know if we had a stop sign. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm being real. And then I moved from there to to Calgary when I was 18 to go to school. I ended up in oil and gas, which led me to like everywhere in Alberta. So I moved to Grand Prairie, which is a super small town in the north, then to Red Deer, where I lived for about eight years. And then I made my way back to Calgary. I also did a stint internationally where I was working in Angola. So I was living in an apartment in the city in Angola, but I was commuting back and forth from the country every five weeks. So yeah, yeah I lived in a few different places. So. Oh, that's pretty cool. Um, what was the biggest lesson you learned about living in Angola? Don't believe the hype. So everybody was telling me, oh my God, it's so dangerous. Oh my God, it's so scary. You're going over there. And I was afraid at first and I walked into a country filled with the nicest, most welcoming and lovely people. And not once did I ever fear or worry about my safety. That's so the biggest thing I learned was don't believe the hype because it's bullshit. <laughs> yeah. And that's so like important to hear because especially with media and how media portrays anything outside of our little bubble, it's like everywhere outside of where we are is dangerous. And then we think that anybody coming from those places is dangerous. And it's just, we're a bunch of humans living all over the earth and there's such thing as assholes, but everybody has them. So that's just the way it goes. Um, what has been your best travel experience? Most rewarding one with the most like profound moments. So I went on a trip to Kenya when I was working in Angola. Um, so side story, when I lived in one of the, in the like staff housing in Angola, our staff housing was right beside an orphanage and it was it was a heartbreaking thing to watch, but they were also the most generous and grateful people that, that lived there as well as the people that ran it. So that was something that I decided that I wanted to give back as much as I could. So I raised some, some money and went over and helped out at an orphanage for five weeks on my time off in Kenya and like helped them cook food. And we talked about how, how to further education from some of the older students and like, what the importance of movement for as as means of learning so like not everybody wants to sit still and they were incorporating sports and and learning and stuff and it was really cool experience. and the things that i took away from it is that most of those children had nothing they had absolutely nothing and they were not only were they the happiest and and most grateful children but they were also the most generous children so here, I have this, I want to give it to you because you're my friend. And I was like, it's just something that we don't see in Western society. I feel like, feel like in as much as Canada is, is such a welcoming and open space, it's still like mine and it's mine and I've got these possessions and I don't share. And 
going to a place where people don't have anything sometimes other than the clothes on their back and they're willing to give them to you because they think that you might benefit from it was a huge experience for me and a, a, a humbling experience for me and an eye-opening experience for me being like, wow, like I am privileged AF and that like, I own that, but it's still, it's like, wow, like how can we open the eyes of others around us to see how privileged we are and hearing from here and the things that so if I ever, God forbid, have children of my own, that's going to be a lesson that they learn for sure Absolutely. because it's so important. So are there any ways that you have ch kind of changed your day-to-day -day based on those past like travel experiences? Like are there like sort of rules that you have in your business that are shaped from your, your past experiences? Compassion. Like you, you just, you never know the story of somebody and like where I, where I'm living in Toronto, there's a lot of, it's, it's a developing area. So there are a lot of people that we don't know their story. We don't know where they come from. And if you show a little bit of kindness and you show a little compassion, like sometimes it's as simple as holding the door open, or maybe it is buying the guy on the street a coffee. It makes everybody's day better. So in, in the studio, it's one of those things that we don't know where people are coming from. We don't know their stories. We don't know, their fitness level. We don't know if they're overcoming a breakup or maybe they are overcoming one or whatever that, that may be. When they walk, we want to welcome them and make them feel important, feel welcome and without judgment. Absolutely. So take us back to when you were like 10, when elementary school, junior high school, like somewhere in that range and describe yourself as a student, as a human, what was your day-to-day -day life like, uh, what kind of what kind of a kid were you for your parents? Stuff like that. So mo both my parents were teachers. So I was a nerd. Like without a doubt, I was the kid who went home in grade four and studied for my science test, even though I had 100% on every test. I had to make sure that the next one was just as good as the last. So in terms of that for my parents, I think they were appreciative of it. Um, I knew at a young age that the town that I was in wasn't the town for me forever. And the way to get out was to educate myself. And the way to do that was to study and do well all throughout school, because that was where scholarships and things like that were. So fairly um, unexciting child, I guess. <laughs> like I knew the things that I needed to do. So there wasn't the stories of me getting arrested or any of those kinds of things, because I, my focus especially in high school was like gtfo and let's study and let's get out and and let's go forward i mean obviously you have like there's always the stories but um yeah i liked i liked sports i liked music my dad was a music teacher so i took music lessons piano lessons up until up until i was like 14 years old and we would he would take me and drive me to them and help me with stuff and and that after so Sadly, I was not cool. <laughs> no, that's awesome. I, honestly, like I can relate to that. That's a lot like I was. My parents are both teachers. So I'm like, oh, I common ground here. This is awesome. So yeah. what was your best memory from those times? What's something that stuck with you? Oh, man. Um, I have lots I have a, lots of good memories of my childhood. Like I grew up in such a small town that there were no rules. Like we had to be within whistling distance. If my mom could whistle from the back porch and we could hear her, that meant to come home for supper. So we had 
free range. The the house that I grew up in across the, the back alley, if you will, was a field. So it was basically like a, you were on a farm, but you were in a town. So we built forts. We did lots of stuff. Like I could ride my bike wherever I wanted to go. As I got older, rollerblading, even driving, like I had, I was allowed to drive my parents' car. Um, so I don't even know if I have a favorite memory. I had good friends and had, yeah lots of wonderful memories of growing up so that's awesome well even that like collection of of just what what impacted you the most uh, it kind of plays a role in like how how things play out like I can imagine if if you had kids one day or like you you would want those same experiences for them hey like oh absolutely yeah like as much as I love city life now I'm like man uh, growing up and being able to do those things. You can't do that in the city. Sorry, we're going to get in bombarded by a cat here very soon. He <laughs> <laughs> doesn't like to be ignored and he's like, okay, how can I get in the middle of this? Here he comes. That's awesome. <laughs> what What are your favorite good. five things about being a cat owner? Um, I'm, a, I'm like a self-proclaimed crazy cat lady. It's genetic. My mother was the same. Um, my friends joke. They're like, oh my God, you are your mother because everything... <laughs> cat related i'm like oh my god look it's so cute um they are my cats are great they want to hang out they snuggle they do funny things they play newton lets me walk him on a leash outside um i've taught him to sit so he can sit for treats <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i like there's nothing bad other than being covered in cat hair 24 7 about oh, owning for sure a cat. So I I can only assume if you had the choice between a dog and a cat, you'd choose cat every time. I'd probably take both. If I could get both, I would have both. Nice. But I, I understand my lifestyle doesn't support having a dog because we're gone yeah. all the time. Like we're and until I may be able like to actually be responsible for a dog, I don't think I could have one. But I also don't hate dogs. I love dogs. Perfect. I love dogs and That's good. And like. I find that pets are so important to just like a balanced life. Like I often, I like talking to people about their pets because it plays a big role. What what it does is it honestly, you're accountable to something else and then you become a lot more accountable to yourself. So, I mean, the 6am feeding is a thing. Yeah. And if it's not, if we're not up, it's a thing. So it keeps you getting out of bed every morning for even if it's just for five minutes by <laughs> 6 a.m. Yeah, totally. What's your favorite time of day to teach a class? Oh, um, I would say the weekend mornings. I used to, when I was in Calgary, I was a morning girl. I was a 6 a.m.er. I loved the early morning stuff. And since coming here, it's kind of been all over the map, like early mornings, late nights. Um, I would say the morning crowd in Toronto is a lot less exciting than the morning crowd in Calgary. Like they, they're just like, get me my workout and shut up and like, don't talk to me. They're like waving towels and doing stuff. Whereas the weekend mornings teach on Sunday morning. It's, it's a death thing. So people have made the decision, like we're not going out on Saturday night. Like this is what we're doing the next day. And so they come there like ready, like let's work. We're ready to go. I'd say that awesome. would be my favorite. So it's still morning, but it's not like bright and early weekday morning. Yeah. And I find that like you almost have to build the culture into the morning people. 
like you kind of they they come the first time and they're all kind of like ah why am i here and then something resonates and then they come again the next time and maybe they see some familiar faces and they're like we're in this together like there's still hope for that uh, whole 6 a.m hype thing in toronto i believe it i caffeinate them on the way out the door we give them coffee after i'm like guys if you just if you get through this we're gonna caffeinate you so you have quite a few like sort of partnerships with the businesses in that area right Yes. So. Uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Tell me, tell me a bit more about them. So the Drake Hotel is across, like directly across the street from us. Um, they, they have properties in Toronto. So they were the original kind of gentrification of the West End of Toronto. They moved. I think it was two thousand and four, and people were like, "What are you doing? Why are you moving a destination hotel with a really cool?" like brunch space, lounge space to this area. Like, no, because there was still factories and like, it was just not, it didn't, it didn't fit. And the owner said, you know what? Like, no, I see the future in this, dumped a bunch of money in, created a really cool destination space, which is kind of the start of the West End. Um, and, and so when I came, just looking back for, for where it was there, it was like a factory before, which is wild because now there's, like eight or 10 different condo buildings and there's businesses and there's restaurants and stuff. So we have a partnership with the Drake, which is super cool for us just because of that story of kind of like being the, the pillar of the West end and like what, when people think of the West end of Toronto, that's kind of what they think of. So they give us coffee after our morning classes um, as well as we give like when, when you stay at the Drake hotel as a guest, you get classes on the house and we have a partnership with their staff where they ride with us Um and we kind of try to direct people for brunch and, and coffee that way as well. So they've been super cool to us. Um, we have a partnership with Glory Hole Donuts, which is my favorite thing. Um, I moved to Parkdale, which is just west of the studio, and stumbled across this donut shop that was about a five-minute walk from my house and decided that I was going to make be, like, be friends with the owner. So I kind of stalked her and just told her that we were going to be friends and that we should do things together because donuts and spin was a cool concept so that was great so ashley's great she's a good friend of mine now um i don't know if it's by her choice or or not (laughs) um they sponsor a class on friday mornings called duncan donuts adam dunk teaches the class kind of makes sense puts his name on there and we give them we give the participants of the class mini donuts and coffee like bribe you to sweat um and then we do like little community partnerships with other sweat communities in the area like yoga and boxing and, and things like that um and we're working on a few other things which i can't really share right now but stay tuned <laughs> i heard the spoiler in one of your other podcasts i was like oh she she's got some details but she probably won't even tell me either <laughs> but that's awesome always moving yeah. forward always looking looking for the next thing and that's the way we should all be so Ooh. adam dunk uh didn't he follow you from calgary well, he followed his partner, Shogi, okay. from Calgary. Um, so Shogi, doctor, doctor Shogi now, um, was a residency hospital in Toronto. And so, yeah, Adam and I knew each other from Calgary. We'd connected. And then when he found out that they were going to make the move here, I was obviously like, yes, you're going to come and you're going to teach. And I want you to be part of the studio. And I want you to like be in this with me. So he did. And yeah. He's been here almost two years now, almost as long as the studio has been here. So 
That's awesome. That's exciting because then you have like those common ground from prior and then you kind of closer bond kind of thing. I think it's, Mm. it's really cool. The story of how all of your like originating instructors were trained in, in your condo. Like a lot of people who know you well will kind of know that story. And I've seen it come up a lot in like the marketing, but it's just such a unique but it's it's like you did it the right way. You had everybody create like genuine friendships so that they felt like they could truly lean on somebody and then everybody built up together. What was three experiences that really kind of stood out to you in that process of training them? Three things that just like impacted you when you think about them today. Um, okay, so first of all, the the training in the apartment was never planned. It was kind of one of those, we just have to make this work. Yeah. And when Sheldon had moved here before me, I'd never seen the apartment. And when he got in, he took a picture and he's like, oh, yeah, we can make this work. And it was like, <laughs> so that was kind of how that started. And I was like, okay. So we bought a dehumidifier and some fans and we're like, make it work. So we did. Um, three of the things that stood out for me, um, a lot of, like, a few people took their first spin class ever in my living room. Like not just teaching their first spin class, but some of them took their first spin class yeah. in that. And that stands out to me because I was like, man, like look at how far like Calvin, for example, took his first spin class in my living room and like still teaching today. And I'm like, man, how far you come? Like I taught you your first class in an apartment building and now you're waitlisting classes. That's pretty awesome. Um, so that was one. Um, two is that friendships, like friendships through adversity, if you will, it's not really adversity, but sort of like through that struggle, through that training, are friendships that are stronger than any other. I look at people that didn't know each other before they walked in that room or before they came in here and even though some of them still aren't teaching at the studio, they're still connected. They're still strong friendships. They still, they understand. They're like, we went through this together. We know what's up. Yeah. Um, So that was super cool. And it's super cool to see. It's harder now as we grow to, to replicate that because now we're training smaller groups and you're training. It's like everybody's kind of fluid and moving and people are teaching and they don't always know each other. So that was one of the, the best parts about training apartment that sticks with me taking that forward is to make sure that the team stays connected by doing you know bonding events and team events to to get to like help form those friendships and continue that bond because the strong community of riders looks up to the strong community of instructors um number number three um i don't even know i guess like that no matter what you can you can make something work if there's a will. Like I I think about how it wasn't like bikes in my living room, but, but structure here it was sweaty. It was disgusting. Like we don't have airflow. We don't have proper back. We had a dehumidifier in the corner, and they wanted it bad as bad as I did. And they showed up and they like struggled through it. And I'm like that is super cool like where there's a will there's always a way and it doesn't have to just be me being like this is what we're gonna do they were like no you know what we're gonna do this we're, we're on board with you we're we're jumping on and i think that, that that kind of moves forward with everything that we do at the studio we 
came with nothing. We came with no connections and where there was a will, there was a way. And each and every person that's kind of come through the door has been a piece of that puzzle and, and been a part of that, I guess, foundation. And it's, it's funny that you were like, we, we didn't plan to train them in the apartment, but it's like all the greatest things that happen are never planned. No. Like I can imagine that there was probably a time in your life where you were in the oil industry and you didn't plan to move to Toronto to open up a spin studio. Hey, I feel like if you were to even gone back, like even five years, and said like, oh, Julie's going to move to Toronto and open a spin studio. People in my life would have laughed. <laughs> like, no, she's not. <laughs> she's not doing it. Um, if you were to rewind to like my early stages in the oil, oil field and you were to have told people in my life then that I was going to do something that involved fitness, they would have laughed at you and been like, there's no way. So, yeah, I mean, the 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 career path and the life path is ever evolving. And it always is like, I even think about where I'd planned to be when I was 18 years old and where I ended up when I was 20, like that's only a two year period and you're in school, but it was like, no, not even close. And then even where our business plan for six cycle, where that was going and where we are today is all like down a different path, but it's just how it goes. Just where you go. Absolutely. So tell me about what your life was like, during that time you described where people would be like, if, if you went into fitness, they'd be like, no way. Like what was non-fitness you like? Everything about me was non-fitness. So I was one of those people that was blessed with good genetics. And I was like, why would I go to the gym? I look good in my clothes. That was my attitude. Um, I also used to like drink beer and eat chicken wings and smoke cigarettes. And like, it was not, I nothing about me was healthy or fit or, anything and it, I was just I was okay with that and it wasn't wasn't until I went over to Angola and the group of people from work were were going for they were going to do a run at lunch and I was like oh I'm into that and they're like you're gonna run with us and I was like yeah and then I nearly died and I was like well maybe I should reconsider this but it was kind of one of those okay don't let them win you're gonna you're gonna do this you're gonna run you're gonna be the best damn runner that there ever was and that's kind of how it started so my life in the oil field before I would was early mornings, late nights, lots of unhealthy food. Anybody wants to read high guard subs from the gas station in, oh. you know, in Manning or, or wherever. Um, and yeah, smoking cigarettes to pass the time away, just not good. And then I got into running and it, everything changed. So was running like your your first thing and it just kind of built out from there? Yeah, like I, I, I was always not an athletic child. Like I guess I was always good at sports. So I'd like pick something up and be like, oh, I can do this and I just do it. And so when when I started running that day, I was like, I thought I would just throw my running shoes on and do it. And it was not the case. We had a, so there was a hill at the camp that was, I think it was about a kilometer long and it was a really steep grade. So we had the plan to like run down or like walk down and then like run up. So not only was I starting running from scratch, I was also starting running up a hill. And the first day I made it like 10 feet and then walked. And every day I would go further and maybe just another 10 feet. And eventually I was walking down the hill and running all the way up. And then it became running from the, the room that I got changed in to the hill, walking down 
running up, then running back. And it just kept getting longer and longer each time. So that I started in January of 2009. And by the fall of 2009, I was probably consistently running 10K every day. And then I ran a, a half marathon in the summer of 2010 and then a full marathon in the fall of 2010, which is the worst experience of my entire life. And then I found other fitness and then it's kind of, here we are. Totally. Fast forward. So with, with smoking, like I'm assuming that you've quit smoking since. Oh, um, January or no, sorry, July 27th, 2006, I think was the day that I quit smoking. And what was that like? Was that pretty tough? Um, I was one of those people that like people in oil and back in those like back in those days like back in that time it wasn't very uncommon for young people to smoke like especially in oil and gas like one of the things I learned and I learned quickly is if you wanted to take a break you needed to smoke because if you were just taking a break people were like why are you taking a break yeah. but if you were taking a smoke break cool so I was like oh this is how I get to like chill out for five minutes so that's kind of how it really started ramping up. Um, so when I quit, I just decided one day that I was no longer going to smoke because so bad. And I was like, this is disgusting. <laughs> so <laughs> I, at that time, this is before phones and internet, really, I looked up this hypnotist in Red Deer in the yellow pages and called her and was like, hey, can you make me quit smoking? And she's like, yeah. So I went, and that's kind of how it happened. And I sure. went to her and that was that. That was it. <laughs> I haven't smoked a cigarette since. So I wasn't one of those people that was like super invested in it, if that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. I I haven't looked back and I don't think I will ever look back again. Totally. Like and the I, thought of it. I completely <laughs> know what you mean with that whole like sort of ticket to take a break with the rest of the people. Uh, I was in a similar environment at one point and it was just like, I wasn't going to smoke because my older brothers, like they've, they've smoked, then had, had times when they've tried their best to quit. Like they've tried the patches, they've tried all kinds of things. And it's just been like, you start, you stop, you start, you stop. And I was like, well, I just won't start and then we won't have a problem. And I'd be at work and I'd know that like everybody's taking their smoke break and I'm going to look like I'm just being lazy if I stand there. So like half the time I would just go to the bathroom kind of thing. But even that, you don't get away with that. So it's just, it's a culture. I'd like it to be ditched. That'd be great. <laughs> like if people were allowed to now just... now it's probably different. I, I would say like now it's growing towards that way because less and less people are smoking. Yeah, it's still a thing though. You like even even in my little dabbles in in sort of like the industrial industry and all that stuff, like you, you still see it. But one day, one day there'll be a change. So, on the topic of parents, I want you to list off five qualities that each of your parents have that have shaped you into the good human that you are today. Oh boy. Um I am most like my grandmother, if that helps. So is, well, sorry, both of my parents have passed, so okay. it's in past tense. Um, my mother was like the quietest, nicest, like most naive, <laughs> wonderful woman. And her and I were couldn't have been more opposite. Um, 
I definitely inherited the cat gene from her, but otherwise, like I was the one who was like, as as a child, was like, no, I'm we're doing this, like I'm running the show. Um, whereas, like, I got that from my grandmother, who was very much the whatever it takes, where there's a will, there's a way, like no excuses. We're we're just gonna do the damn thing. Um, I a lot of the qualities that I got from my dad, um, I got the the like work ethic of you like there's no excuse you just need to work um music so much of my musicality and my ability to hear and understand music came from my dad and his passion for it and us growing up like i remember counting like counting beats but in in classical music as young as the age of four like knowing how that fit together and stuff like that um, my dad was the music teacher, so I was in band in high school, which again taught me that musicality, but it also taught discipline. So you, this isn't something that you have to do, but it's something that you want to do. But if you want to do it, you have to do it well. If that makes sense, like that yeah. you can't just show up. You have to like put in in the work, and and make that. Um, happen um again from my dad was resourcefulness so here's somebody who didn't go to school for anything mechanical but yet would have to fix mechanical things and would self-teach and this is before like being able to google something on the internet he would just have to take a look at how something worked and would take it apart and then try to put it back together and that kind of thing which is something that i learned from him and definitely helped me in my career in gas whatever we built a diesel engine and then they're like well there you go you're like oh good good stuff (laughs) so (laughs) um in terms of like from my mother i would say like the the ability to be compassionate because she was somebody who would have adopted every human and every animal on the planet if possible Mm -hmm. and at times we did adopt every animal that was available for a while there was a lot of animals in the house um yeah. How many have I got there? I don't even know. I'm you went count. through a pretty good list. So if you feel okay. complete, I feel complete. <laughs> okay. okay. I don't know. I lost count. One thing that I value in my own life is just having somebody to touch base with like every week, whether it's once a week and whether it's in person or over the phone. And I find that most people have somebody like that in some capacity, even if it's just like in in a chat online or if it's somebody in person and you're not allowed to include your husband on this one you have to pick somebody other than him do you have people like that and what are they like um aside from sheldon who is all of those things yeah um because he's in it with me and he lives here and (laughs) you know what i mean makes sense that makes Um, sense (laughs) i have a lot of like great friends i would say like my her name's Lorley. We grew up together. Um, I've known her the longest of anyone in my life. I think we, we debate on when we actually became friends. I thought we knew each other kind of kindergartenish. She claims it was grade three. And we became young. Um, she's been there through all of the stuff, the good stuff, the bad stuff, the business stuff. She's also like doing our accounting. So she's been there through all of that. Um, and I, I don't talk to her as regularly as I'd like to, but she's somebody that when I need to, to check in, I, I can check in. Um, I have a lot of friends in Toronto that I check in with on a daily basis. It's just like, Hey, how's it going? You know, they, they make me take a break or they make me go to the gym or 
those kinds of things when I'm not necessarily in the space to do it on my own. So yeah, I have a couple of friends in Toronto and then Lorelei would be the one that has been there through all the stuff and will like literally tell me to like check myself or like you're being an idiot. Stop it. Totally. You need people like that in life. Like you need people who are as invested as you in you as possible so that they won't let you just like throw yourself off a cliff, figure a speech kind of thing. Like they don't want you to derail because they want to see you happy and successful kind of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. with, with your friends in Toronto where a lot of them like brand new friends kind of thing. Yeah. I didn't know, really know anybody when I moved here. So like our existing, our our network that we have now was all built here. Um, yeah, everybody. and, And obviously I met them all through six cycle in some capacity. Um, so like my friend Lauren, who we trained together, she does a lot of like helps with a lot of creative stuff. She saw a sign that Six Cycle was coming and sent us an email and was like, hey, I do like marketing stuff. We should talk. And then we talked and then we became friends. And long since that, that she's no longer working for the company that she was then, but it, we maintained that friendship. Um, and then Priska and Kay, Priska came to the studio moving back from Amsterdam and kind of slowly started coming more and more and more. She was really good at spin at the beginning. And we're like, oh, she's really good. Does she like us or does she hate us? <laughs> Because <laughs> it was so good and it was so new, it's like yeah. before. Um, and she started coming back and like started helping out at the front desk. And then we've obviously become very close friends. And I'm like, that's who I'm going to New York with on Thursday. We went, we did a cycling cycle studio tour in Europe in the fall, which was, I mean, if you can last that, you can last anything. <laughs> <laughs> Because that was a lot. That was six, 15 classes in seven days. Holy crap. Like, <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. Yeah, there was a lot of like, you know, that like A535 stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We found in Paris, but there was a lot of that happening. A lot of like eucalyptus and mint. Do you ever go and do like mobility? Like my favorite mobility is yin yoga, just because I find it sort of forces me into doing it rather than just like training mobility exercises where I'm just, I kind of half-ass it because I'm more in control. What, what, what's your practice aside from like cross training? Cause I've seen you do a lot of that. What, what do you do to keep it so that your hips still do hip things? Foam roller. Fair enough. Like literally I don't do any mobility. I do my, my dynamic warm up and, and stretching and stuff at the gym, but I don't, I should, and I know I should, but it's, yeah, it's not on the list of things I do right now. Get on it. Like implement it. Think about like long-term sustainability. How long do you want to be on a spin bike? Forever, right? <laughs> I mean, I str- I do stretch. Like I have stre- like daily stretches and stuff that I do not every day. I would say maybe every other day. Um, and it's funny. I only ever do them when I'm like, oh, I'm really sore. So like, I, I should move. Oops. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely know that I need to do more mobility. My goal is to get off the bike a little bit more and be able to have the, the time to to focus on doing those things. So right now it's like, oh, do I really want to go do a yoga class after I touch spin? It's like, no. No, and that makes sense. Like we only have like the, the work capacity to fit so much into a day kind of thing. And I think a lot of people, they see all this stuff on Instagram. They're like, well, I need to 
do four of these things because that's what everybody else does but it's just like if it's if your goals are physique oriented like it's a lot around food like you can only work your body so much so like half the time if i'm doing a whole bunch of classes in a day it's mostly for the social aspect like mm -hmm. i really enjoy the social aspect of spin classes or any group fitness because it's you you get the good vibes of other people in your space kind of thing so my next question is what is your favorite thing to do when you're training in the gym what's your favorite lift deadlift probably Woohoo. um yeah it's it I'm the strongest in that movement, but it's also like it can completely gas your entire body. Yeah. I think it's the only exercise that I do that works upper and lower body, almost entire body movement. But I walk out of there with sore abs and sore lats and and stuff, and and I can really push the the bar. I guess I can really push the the weights on it. And I used to be this a squat girl. until it got to the that heavier end of it and you're like oh if you fail at this like it's really ugly like you gotta you're failing on the way down right like you gotta Yeah. drop a bar if you fail at a deadlift you just don't pick it up off the floor <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> it's like uh that's it so i i would say the three exercises that i, <laughs> I enjoy this would be a, a squat a deadlift and a hip thrust that makes sense. all lower body Have you ever used like the official Brett Contreras hip thruster? No, You should look it no, up. I have Look not. up Brett Contreras on Instagram. Thank me later. He I know, will... I know who he is. The glue guy. Okay. The glue guy. I know who he is. Well, But yeah, no, I'm just a bench and a mat kind of person. I mean, we have training partner Lauren and I have a goal of a 400, 400 pound, 405, I guess is four plates, 400 pound head yeah, press. nice, It's going to be a pound. nice. Okay. Those glute gains, and it's so helpful for being on the bike having like strong glutes because, For sure. yeah, like. One thing that uh, I've heard through the grapevine is in Toronto, it's more popular to do the fast standing jogs. Is this true or is this just rumor? Yeah, I mean, I love fast anything. I'm like, everything I try to do is <laughs> when I slow it, I have to remind myself, be like, no, you got to add the slow stuff. Um, so yeah, we had to change a lot of the way that we teach based on that because the classes here were faster and the competition was stiffer. And so if we wanted to kind of keep up with that and keep up with the, the level of challenge of our competitors, we had to adapt. So Out went the seated races and in came the standing sprints. Totally. What was that like? Like the moment where you're like, oh, we, we need to adapt. Were you just quick to do it or did you have to sort of like talk yourself into it? I mean, I had to talk myself into it at the time because I was like, are you setting yourself up for risk of injury? Are you like, are you deviating from your original plan? But then it was like, if people are going elsewhere and doing that, do they really care? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like at the time I was like, these are things that I'm passionate about. And I had a kinesiologist review this stuff and like, make sure that we're like not ruining your body. But then I'm like, if they're going to go there instead, then our clientele doesn't necessarily care about the same thing. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And So. like, I, I feel like even even in a place with high risk, like standing jog kind of thing, the better your instructors are at queuing it, the safer they are. So you just have to be the best at queuing it, which I have no doubt you're probably pretty good.
Yeah, I mean, I give these always the option. Like, if you're not gonna, if you're not comfortable standing up, don't stand up. Totally. Stay down. Yeah. Stay down. There, a lot of people. Have you ever found that some people will be on the bike and everybody's standing, and then they they have a hard time not standing because they just want to be one of the group, but they're they're not understanding the process, like how you get a few classes under your belt and then you'll be able to be up there. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you can you can give those general cues. I would never ever call out anybody individually. No. I just like I, you know, you're like, yeah, if your feet are doing this, maybe adjust the dial this way. Totally. And eventually, you know that like everybody starts somewhere. They're gonna they're either gonna get it or they're not gonna get it. Like, sorry, Sheldon, but he's been spinning for five years or six years. So it, he like his feet are not even close to the beat. Yeah, well, it is what it is, and it's just. <laughs> 